Thank you, Jonathan. Hey, I am very thankful for Thanksgiving. And this morning we are going to be looking at Colossians chapter 1 and just considering developing a habit of thankfulness. And uh, I'm definitely thankful for the uh, holiday of Thanksgiving. This is the one time a year that I am primarily the one. <laughs> this is the one time in the year. I'm thankful, that I'm thankful for technology. All right. I forgot to turn my head and test it. Okay. Um, anyway, okay, back to what I was saying. This is the one holiday that I'm the primary cook in our family. And uh, I, I love it. I love turkey and potatoes and Thanksgiving and gravy and, and cranberries. And so I, I cook the food. Now, I also find that, found out that Jonathan's going to be cooking the food. So I'm not saying you have a choice. But if you have a choice between coming to my house or going to Jonathan's house, you should go to his house because he has a culinary degree. But in my family, we love eating the food that I cook. And uh, I just, man, I love Thanksgiving. And I love it actually not only because it's a time that we get to get together as a family, but because it's, it's a holiday, holiday that we have set aside to think about thankfulness. And that is such a critical character quality in the life of a believer. And ultimately, um, many people can be thankful for many things, but if you're not a Christian, you actually miss out on the most significant element of thanksgiving. Because thanksgiving primarily is an attitude that we express toward God. Yes, we're thankful for things in life. Yes, we're thankful for the people that God puts in our life. But thankfulness is appropriately directed ultimately toward the Lord. Now, I was thinking about the very first thanksgiving. And, uh, and it was in Plymouth in 1621. And that's like the thanksgiving that we kind of model our thanksgiving after. And... Um, I just think about the fact that I really like turkey, and I was reading something about Thanksgiving, and they said that, that turkey might not have been what they ate on Thanksgiving, that first one, that they may have eaten lobsters, ducks, geese, and swans. And, uh, but, but I will say this, that does not sound very good to me, but the Smithsonian Institute, um, they, they are committed to the fact that they actually did eat turkeys as well. So I'm going to go with that. Um, now, I don't know if you know this, but Benjamin Franklin... Uh, he really liked turkeys, too, and he wished that the turkey was our national bird. <laughs> um, he thought that the bald eagle had bad moral character, and a turkey was much more respectable. And, uh, you know, I, I don't really, uh, I don't know much about that other than that he said that, but I could just say this, I would way rather eat a turkey than a bald eagle. So I'm glad that turkeys are not our national bird. Um, in, uh, in 1863... President Lincoln um, actually um, uh, declared that Thanksgiving would be a national holiday. That's when it happened, when it became like a regular thing. And uh, he did that during the Civil War. And, and many think that that was in the hopes of kind of bringing the country together and giving people something to kind of set aside some of the divisiveness. And so they think that was partly why he did that. And I think, man, I hope that that Thanksgiving and people thinking about the Lord and what we have to be thankful for, hopefully this will be a season that's good for our country. Um, now, Thanksgiving Day football, we have some football fans here this morning, and we, we were talking about that, yeah. We got the, in fact, we got people in this room, and their teams are going to be playing each other today. Well, I just want you guys to know that uh, Thanksgiving football started in 1870, before there was even TV. 
And in uh, that first Thanksgiving um, in 1876, Yale, this, that, that was the first year for, uh, for football on Thanksgiving, and it was Yale and Princeton. And they, they, they uh, played against each other. And at that point, it wasn't even football. It was more like rugby. And there was no TV, so you couldn't have watched it anyway. So anyway, that's Thanksgiving. You know, I, when I think about Thanksgiving, uh, Thanksgiving is so important, and especially in difficult, challenging times. And one of the reasons that I think Thanksgiving, an, an attitude of Thanksgiving is so important is because of what is real in our relationship with Christ. There are many people that as they approach life, they embrace thoughts, they embrace ideas that make them feel better whether or not those ideas are true. And that's one of the things that as Christians, we are people of truth. And we don't just embrace ideas because on a practical level, they're better for us. We embrace ideas because they're true. And thankfulness is something that would flow out of a person's heart when they consider the things that are real and that are true. Um, I think about, uh, I'm thinking about thankfulness in challenging times. Um, I was speaking to an individual this week and they were just kind of sharing about this difficult thing that was happening in their life. And one of the ways that they responded was to say, I don't really care what happens here. I know I have the Lord. I know I have my family, my kids, my grandkids, and I know I, ha- I know I have my church family, so none of this stuff matters. This can't hurt me because I have the things that are significant and that matter. And, and just as I sat there and thought about that, I just thought, man, um, what, a, what a wonderful example from somebody in our church family who's just thinking rightly about things that are true. And uh, one of the other reasons that Thanksgiving is so important is because Thanksgiving is a fundamental part of Christian worship. Part of worshiping the Lord is to be thankful. You cannot rightly worship God without an attitude of thankfulness. Um, As I think about the things that I'm thankful for, there are many things that I'm thankful for. But one of the things is that for us, with all the things that have gone on, we think about the fires, we think about COVID, you know, COVID, we think about all the, the unrest and all the difficulty in our, na- in our nation. And I was just thinking about how this has been such a challenging year. And yet, I think about the fact that even when things are terrible in the United States, they're wonderful. Uh, last year in November, a good friend of mine who is a missionary in Zimbabwe Uh, He was last year, in the month of November, there was 90% unemployment. (laughs) We worry about unemployment. Imagine that, you know, 90% unemployment. Um, Twice in the month of November last year, he had to drive 36 hours to get food because there was no food where he lived. So he got in his car, drove, drove 36 hours to another country, to get some food. And I just think about, you know, the things that we struggle with and our concerns and our worries and the economies being shut down. And I just think, man, this country is amazing that when we shut everything down, how well we're doing. And it just reminds me, I just think about how incredibly blessed we are. No matter what's going wrong, we are a people who God has richly blessed. Um, Perspective is a huge thing. 
And I just want to start this morning by talking about the fact that thankfulness is the proper expression of worship. A worship is declaring God's greatness. Worship is being committed to serving God. Worship is what we say. It's what we sing about. Worship is what we do. Now, let me just say this. Worship is knowing where every good thing comes from. So as we, we're about to jump into Colossians chapter 1, but before we do that, I want to read two verses. Um, Acts 17, 24. This is the Apostle Paul preaching the gospel to some unbelievers. And when he's preaching the gospel and calling them into a relationship with God, he contrasts the worship of other deities with the worship of our God. See, other, other deities need things. Um, other deities, you've got to cut down a tree, you've got to carve them into a shape, you've got to move them around places. And, and, you know, you go into an Asian restaurant, they have a little Buddha sitting there, and people got to get food and go stick it up there in front of them. And it's like he just gets carried around. Other gods are so different than our God. First of all, our God's real. But look at this, Acts 17, 24. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. When you think about the fact that you can give God nothing, he has given you everything. Um, James 1.17 reminds us, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. As we head into this season, we need to think about the fact that every good thing that we have comes from God. When you work and you earn something, God gave you the mind, the ability, the opportunity. Um, he, he kept you alive while you did it. Even when we, quote, do things for ourselves, we're only able to do those things because God allows us to. That, that he works out circumstances so that they happen. Everything that is good that we have comes from God. And as a Christian with a Christian worldview, we recognize that. Um, the unbelieving world... God is blessing, you know, the Bible tells us that God causes the rain to fall on the field of the wicked and the righteous. So this is the crazy thing. It is not just true that everything that Christians have come from God. It is true that every good thing that anybody has comes from God. And the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian is that Christians recognize that. The unbelieving world, they think they did it for themselves. They think they got it because they're talented. They don't realize, <laughs> no, God is graciously giving to them. So let's jump into um, Colossians chapter 1. Now, the book of Colossians, it, is, it focuses on the sufficiency of Christ, the fact that Jesus has all power, all majesty, all glory, and he is our greatest treasure. He's the thing that we need the most. That Jesus is both our advocate and our judge. And that's an incredible blessing. And that Jesus is our greatest satisfaction. And so chapter 1 and 2 
of Colossians talk about doctrine, the things that we're supposed to believe. Chapter 3 and 4 talk about how we're supposed to put that into practice. And so in this section of chapter 1, this is thinking through what are the things that we are supposed to believe. Um, And then obviously that will have a ramification in our life, which should be thankfulness. So let's just start. Our first point this morning is this. Thankfulness is a habit that we must cultivate. Thankfulness does not just naturally happen. Thankfulness is something that we need to specifically think about and intentionally develop in our life. One of the things that is just an incredible blessing to me as I go through challenges, difficulties, struggles, as I worry about the future, any of those kinds of things, to take a step back, to think about the things that are true, to think about the things that I'm thankful for is transforming in the midst of the most difficult circumstances. Let's read Colossians chapter 1 verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Verse 3, I want you to notice two important things here. He says, we always, we always thank God. Two important things there. Paul saying that he always thanks God. Those are the two most critical elements of thanksgiving. They need to happen always, and it needs to be ultimately directed at God. And so that's thankfulness. Paul always thanks God. I want to ask you a question. How intentional are you in your life? Do you just kind of go through life, or do you plan to specifically do things? Do you think about the way you think and the way you feel and the way that you approach life, and are you consciously focusing on developing the right kind of habits? That's one of the things that we should do. Now, how long does it create a ha- take to create a habit? It's commonly said that it is somewhere between 21 and 30 days. How many of you have heard that? Between 21 and 30 days to make a habit. Um, that's wonderful and very encouraging. Uh, I've also read some things that say it can take as long as eight months. Maybe that's part of our problem. Have you ever done something for 30 days and you're like, okay, I created a habit that I never did it again. Um, maybe it takes eight months, but here's one of the things when it comes to Thanksgiving, that is a habit that we need to work on developing in our life. Habits are an incredible blessing that God has given us. They can be a great weakness, but they're a great blessing. If you think about this, when you get up in the morning, you do so many things without thinking about it. I live my life on habits, and so I have to create habits. Um, There are like three places that I put my keys. Now, I should have created a habit of only putting them in one place, but I put my, my keys in like three places. But whenever I need my keys, I don't ever remember where I put them ever. But I can just go and say, okay, I hang them here. No, they're not there. I might set them right here. No, they're not there. Okay, there's one other place I set my keys. Oh, there they are. I live my life in habits. When I'm going somewhere and doing something, I might start to set my keys down. I think, oh, wait, no, that's not what I normally do. If I put them there, I'll never find them. Habits allow us to live life without thinking about things. You probably don't think about, you know, buttoning up your shirt. You can talk to somebody and button up your shirt because you have created that habit. And when it comes to the Christian life, we need to develop attitudes and thought habits of thankfulness. 
that are directed properly and that are at all times. You know, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, in, in speaking about God's judgment, his wrath being poured out on the earth, it is poured out because people are not thankful. That is a critical element of being a believer. So um, I, what I want to do is I just want to take a second and I'm going to mention a few verses, and then I'm going to put a few up on the screen. But it is amazing when you look at the Apostle Paul, and you see the things he's thankful for, how much he's thankful all throughout Scripture. And so let's learn, by Paul's example, a little about thankfulness. So one of the things that stands out in two examples, um, the Apostle Paul is thankful for the salvation of other people. You can see what his priorities are, what he's dedicated to. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Romans 1, 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed. So Paul is thankful that people are saved. Paul is thankful when he, when he sees the testimony, the evangelism, the example of believers going out. Uh, are you thankful? When you think about, oh, what am I most thankful for this year? Do you think about people that you know that have come to know the Lord? Like when I think about this church, I'm thankful for a lot of things. But one of the things that stands out to me are people who when they came to this church didn't know the Lord. And in their time here, they came to know the Lord. I am so thankful for that. When I hear about the, the influence that many of you are having in your neighborhoods, your communities, the impact that you're having. When I hear about conversations and I think about the fact that your Christianity, your faith is being seen by other people, I'm so thankful for that. And those are the kinds of things we should be thankful for. Now, here, here's something that I think is really important for us to consider. Did you know that Paul assumes that the mot one of the primary motivations of all Christians is thankfulness. Like this is such an important quality that Paul just says, oh no, yeah, Christians do things because they're thankful. That's why they do them. It's just an assumption that in a Christian's life, they are driven and motivated by thankfulness. So Romans chapter 14, Paul's talking about don't judge other people. Don't judge the decisions other people are making. And uh, we could just say, hey, lots of opportunities for that, right? Uh, if somebody chooses not to come to the gathering of the church, oh, they're compromising. They don't value uh, spiritual gathering. Or if somebody comes, oh, they, they don't care about laws. They disregard governments and things like that. And so there's plenty of opportunity for people to be judgmental. And Paul just, is, this passage is about not judging people. But look what he says. Romans 14, 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God. While the one who abstains, abstains in, order, in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And so Paul is just saying that what drives people to make the choices that they do and, and, and overarching everything people do is a thankfulness directed toward God. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. This is the dominant expression in our prayer is thankfulness to God. It says this, and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. 
addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord in your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like thankfulness, because it is so significant in our life and in our heart, it's going to be significant in our prayers, which is just expressing our heart to the Lord. And so thankfulness is this overarching thing in every Christian's life. Now, another passage that is just <laughs> so timely in this regard, it's interesting. Um, you guys have heard the, the story of uh, Daniel and the lion's den, right? Remember when Daniel was, um, he, he was this ruler, he was one of the leaders in Nebuchadnezzar's um, uh, kingdom, and some people said, um, some people say, um, hey, we, we, want, we really want to go after Daniel. We want to attack him. How can we do that? He does everything right. He never compromises. And they say, okay, here's what we can do. If we make a law regarding the things that God has commanded him to do, if we can make a law about his faith, he will not compromise his faith to follow rules. He never breaks rules. He always honors authority, but he honors God's authority over human authority. So our only avenue, we got to get a law passed that, it, that makes something about his faith illegal. And he's so spiritually faithful, he'll do it anyway. So that's what they do. They pass a law that you're not allowed to pray. And so uh, what, they, what they do, I'll just read it, is Daniel 6.10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber toward and opened toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. You know what you see? Daniel prayed and Daniel was thankful three times a day, every day. This was a habit in his life. And when they passed a law saying he couldn't do it, he just smiled and said, all right, you signed the document, great, wonderful, and just continued on as he had been doing, worshiping, praying, and being thankful. And so there's a lot of things about that, but the thing I want you to know is that in Daniel's life, a faithful man of God, thanking God was the habit and the practice of his life. Um, another passage on thankfulness here, being a habit. And, and this is specifically being thankful in the midst of trials and difficulties and challenges. One of the things I think about our current circumstances is this has been a very hard year for some people. This has been the most amazing year for some people. I was talking to somebody who is related to business people, and he said two-thirds of my companies, of the people that I work with, are having the best year they have ever had. And one-third of the companies that I work with are going out of business. They're afraid that they're going to go out of business. And so this year is not affecting people evenly. There are certain age demographics that are far more worried and need to be much more careful about the whole COVID thing. And then there's other age demographics that it is just not a concern. 
And so this, this year has been, for some, very difficult. Um, politically speaking, for some people, this has been a terrible year. For other people, this is an amazing year. And so um, the thing that we need to recognize is thankfulness is not something that we, we are thankful when things go great and we're not thankful when things are hard. Thankfulness is something that pervades every circumstance, every situation, all the time. Look at this, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Thankfulness is a key element of prayer. Um, Do you know why? Because thankfulness is an expression that you know who God is, that you trust God. If you thought about Hebrews 11, just what Hebrews 11 says about faith, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. One of the reasons that we are thankful, no matter what happens, is because we know that God is good, we know that God loves us, we know that God rewards his children, we know that God is in control, that no matter what challenge or difficulty you face, it is not outside of God's control. God has good plans for you. No matter what happens, that's when you're in the midst of trial and difficulty and struggle. And then the other thing is that if things are going wonderfully, if your life is splendid, if you just thought, man, if I I was to think about something to make something better in my life, I cannot picture anything that could happen that would make my life better. I am right now experiencing a perfect life. If that's you, thankfulness is the natural expression of that. You know, there are some people that in the midst of trial, they seek God. There's others that in the midst of trial, they think, oh, God, where are you? How could you be letting me go through this? There are some people that when they're blessed, they're thankful, and they seek God. There are others who when things go well, they forget all about God, and they're off doing their own thing. As believers, thankfulness needs to dominate our trouble and it needs to dominate our blessing. Thankfulness is just a a foundational part of being a believer. One of the things that Paul was thankful for in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 12, he was so thankful that God allowed him to serve him, that God saved him and put him into service. What an incredible blessing we have to function, to use our spiritual gifts to build up the body of Christ. Okay, I didn't put this verse on a slide. But if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. This is, again, a passage about thankfulness that really speaks to our current circumstances as a church. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Paul says this. First of all then, I urge that supplications and prayers and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for all people. 
And we pray for people. Paul is calling us, God is calling us to be people who are praying for people. We're, we're praying for everybody. We're, we are thankful. We're actually part of our prayer for other people is to be thankful for them. Now, here's why this is so applicable right now. Um, who are the all people? For kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it pleases and, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. You know, we got a lot of questions about, um, are you still going to meet on Sunday? And um, this is a, a challenging thing, and, and I just want you guys to know, I want you to understand the principles that we use in making decisions in our church leadership. Um, we honor what God says, and God tells us two things. God says that you are to honor authority. And so that's, that's something that we do. We honor authority, but the Bible also says you obey God, not men. Daniel, when he was talking to the king, uh, Daniel was always faithful, always obeyed the king, until the king told him to disobey God. And when the king told him to disobey God, he did not use that as an excuse to have a rebellious attitude. Oh, you're such a jerk. You're such an idiot. You're such an ungodly leader and ruler. By the way, Daniel served very wicked kings. But Daniel's response is, oh, king, live, live forever. He has a positive attitude toward the king. And all throughout scripture, um, even the apostle Paul, when he was on trial, he never had a bad attitude toward the leaders who were putting him in these terrible situations. But he also never obeyed them rather than God. And so as a church, we want to be a great example to our community. We want to demonstrate that we honor authorities, that we appreciate the leaders and the people that God has given us, and not only when they would do things the way we would do it. We honor them at every possible opportunity. We pray for them. We desire their well-being. Ultimately, we desire their salvation. But the moment somebody says, um, okay, here you need to disobey God, um, our response is to say, hey, we love you, we appreciate you, we wish you well, but we obey God, not men. And, and in this situation, um, this is a judgment call. It's interesting as, as a leadership deciding what is the right thing to do, what is a good example. By the way, it is a bad example when believers say, I will obey a human authority over God. Uh, when my kids were growing up in school, we put them in public schools. And we loved our school teachers. We loved our school administration. But one time, our, one of our kids was sharing the gospel. And the teacher said, you are, this is like first or second grade. You are not allowed to talk about God in school. So we got our kid, and we said, no, you need to love your teacher. You need to honor your teacher. And you share the gospel at school. That does, should not slow you down at all. And then we went and had a conversation with the teacher. We went and had a conversation with the principal. And we just encouraged our kids. You honor the Lord. And, and it wasn't just that. There were multiple occasions where we had to teach our kids. When, you're, when, you're, when, when there's five kids talking in school and you're the only one that's singled out and you're stuck in, in recess, you don't get to go to recess, you get to go, and all the other kids that were talking, they get to go play. We didn't say to our kids, that's not fair. 
you disobey your teacher and go. You go play anyway. Nope. Doesn't matter if it's fair. Doesn't matter if it's not fair. You have a good attitude to your teacher. You honor everything your teacher tells you. And when your teacher says don't pray, don't share the gospel, don't bring your Bible to school, you smile and you respectfully say no, we're going to do what God tells us to do. And so part of our example, it's not just doing what we're told. Part of our example is to honor God over men. And so and, and there, there are, this is a much bigger issue, but I want you to know that our leaders wrestle through that. And we have on our leadership board, we have a different perspective. There's, there's people who see things differently, who feel differently. And one of the things that I love about our leaders is people think about it, they articulate their concerns, and they sharpen one another, they, they stretch one another, they, have, they, they like each other, there's no disunity, and then we land on a place that we believe this is where God would have us be. And so just so you know, our desire is to, is to honor the Lord first, our, our desire is to honor authorities, but that's why you're sitting here, is because that's the decision that we've made, and that's why. Let's look at the second um, point here, thankfulness is rooted in our eternity. And there's kind of two things when we think about our eternity. It's number one, our present relationship with Christ. That is part of what changes our eternity. And the second part of that element is our future hope that is guaranteed and that is secure. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 4. Since we heard of your faith in Christ... And of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul was thankful for them because they had a relationship with Christ and because they had a future hope that was secure. Can I tell you something about salvation? It provides unshakable stability in the face of anything that happens in this life. Our future hope puts today in perspective. And so many times, um, people's current circumstances actually don't control their happiness. It's interesting, you can go to a company and survey the employees. Hey, what's your level of satisfaction? And uh, then you tell them, hey, there's gonna be layoffs. There might be layoffs next month. And then survey them a couple days later. And what's their level of satisfaction? It's very low. Has anybody been laid off? No. Is anything practically different about anybody's life? No. Their income's the same. The place they live is the same. Nothing in their life has changed. Today they're happy. Tomorrow they're unhappy. But nothing has changed except their perspective of the future. And that's for us as believers there are things about life that we don't know, but there are things about life that we know for certain. Our eternity, our standing before God, God's love and care for us in our life, that never changes. And that is something that allows us to be thankful when things are going well, when things are not going well. Now let's just take everybody and t take those same people, lay them all off. They have no money. So their circumstances have changed. But then go to them and say, in a few weeks, you're going to be brought back to work. And by the way, everybody's pay is getting doubled. 
All of a sudden, everybody's happy. Everybody's excited. They're very optimistic. Life is wonderful. They still can't buy any food. Nothing about their life has actually changed. But their view of the future impacts their thankfulness. And so for us as believers, what we know about the future impacts us. So let me just read a few more things here. I want to read Colossians chapter 1, verse 4 again. And five, since we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, your personal relationship with Christ should make you thankful. Jesus will never leave you. He is always going to be there for you. And God, God is with you all the time. That is a huge thing. And there is a hope laid up for you in heaven. Um, I want to just read this passage. Your future in heaven, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, that's what God has prepared for those who love him. The question for you, do you love Jesus? Because if you do, you cannot imagine what God has for you. He's not going to double your pay. He's not going to give you a bigger house. He's not going to have you win the lottery. He's not going to solve all your health problems. Um, those things are so minor compared to what God is going to do for you. He is going to do all of those things and so much more that you cannot even imagine. That's the future hope that you have, a reconciliation, a right relationship with God. Think about just from a relational perspective how we can struggle. Uh, sometimes our relationships cause us difficulty. Sometimes we feel this absence of a relationship. We are going to be in heaven where everything is perfect, and the same God that loves us and is with us now, we will fully know forever in eternity. We have as believers... <clears throat> a lot to be thankful for. Uh, there's a lot more in this passage, but I'm going to leave it here. This has been a challenging year, um, has it not? Uh, there's been one curveball after another, but every single challenge is an opportunity for the gospel. God does miracles. God displays his power through you and through your attitude and the way that you interact. God comforts through his church. God gives us the privilege of coming alongside others and comforting them. We need to train ourselves to always be thankful because that is a right reflection of what's true and what's real. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your kindness, the way that you love us. Lord, I just ask that this would be a wonderful season. Lord, I just pray that you would help everybody in their conscience to love you, to honor you, to be gracious, to be loving. Lord, that we would not follow the example of the world that is hateful, that is rebellious. Uh, Lord, that we would be people that love others and desire their salvation. Lord, let that ooze from us. Let it come out in every part of our life in your name. Amen.